Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. Where we like to talk about things that are messy, awkward, hard, or controversial and create a space for healing. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. Today we are joined by John, who is my husband, and we are going to be talking today about the phenomenon of red-pilled men and the cult of the alpha male. So John, before we start, do you want to just tell our listeners and watchers a little about who you are? Yeah, I am obviously married to Megan. Uh, I'm a digital marketer for Live Action, which is a pro-life media organization. I'm currently working on my Master's of Divinity from Moody Theological Seminary, which I should be graduating in the spring with my full MDiv, so really excited for that. And in addition to all of those things, I have a I'd say armchair enthusiasm for internet culture broadly. And uh, so this is something that I feel is a bit idiosyncratic for a Christian man to know a lot about, Mm -hmm. but it's something that has in recent months become really kind of a big deal when it comes to the conversations between men and women specifically within Christianity. So yeah, that's a bit about me. I like to online culture and Christians, especially Christians in ministry, is rather like two roads that don't really meet. A lot of pastors are very, or priests, <laughs> are very mm-hmm. uh, not familiar with internet culture. Um, even like youth pastors who are working with younger generations are not always super adept at internet culture. So I think it is a unique crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who aren't familiar at all, what is the red pilled movement and how did it start? Yeah, that's kind of a big question because because it's internet culture, it's completely decentralized. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you might be familiar with the term red pilled used in kind of its mimetic way where it's used sarcastically for someone that has a socially inept opinion or is kind of a radical in some way. Uh, But right now, uh, if it's used as a signifier of a movement, if someone is using it like uh, red-pilled male or uh, alpha male, it's most likely in reference to a movement that has been around for quite some time, actually. Uh, the red pill movement is kind of heir apparent to a movement called MGTOW, which is an acronym for men going their own way. MGTOW got started on the heels of kind of the rad femme movements in the early 2000s. Uh, this was very like web 2.0, early internet culture. I think the forum is actually still around for it. And this movement was uh, men basically uh, checking out from society, checking out from relationships with women as well. Uh, It was very much rooted in this idea that as much as society was trying to focus on women's struggles, uh, men still bore the brunt. And this is not me saying this, this is their position. Um, The idea that, you know, if you look at the statistics, men still make up 95% of workplace, workplace deaths and injuries. Men, by and large, get ignored by the court systems and divorce. They lose custody. Uh, men by and large don't actually get as much social welfare as women do. They experience heavier sentencing when it comes to criminal trespasses and on and on it goes. And so uh, the MGTOW movement was this idea that 
as society tries to focus more on women, men need to focus more on themselves and check out and focus on their own needs instead. Uh, this kind of also coincided with the men's rights activist movement, which uh, was concerned with a lot of the same things. It was less radical and it was a bit more uh, egalitarian. But this was very much what was in the air in kind of uh, mid to late 2000s into the early 2010s. And then the red pill movement kind of comes along and explodes all of this into being less of a third way ism a different way that men could interact with society, which was kind of more quiet, reserved, just checking out from things and focusing on themselves to actively hostile uh, and actively rejecting what would be considered social orthodoxy, uh, where society says men and women are equal. Red Pill says men and women are not equal. Men are smarter. Men are stronger. Uh, men should use this to their advantage in every way. Uh, the Red Pill movement in that way uh, is obviously very misogynistic and very, very sexist. A lot of people would tend to argue it's not, and that making that accusation shows you don't understand it. Um, but that's that's just coping for the reality of the situation. Um, it's kind of that double thing that's there, because they do understand that they are swimming in the wake of the MGTOW movement, and they're attempting to say, well, men have been put upon for so long, and society doesn't care about men's issues, so we're going to finally start caring about ourselves. So to a certain degree, if you question this within the halls of kind of the accepted red pill orthodoxy, people will just kind of assume you hate men. People will assume you don't really care about men and they'll say, okay, well, you know, we're finally standing up for ourselves. And so you don't want us to be happy. Mm, no, it's just very, it, <laughs> just because we don't hold the idea that men should be ascendant socially and use and abuse women doesn't necessarily make you uh, a sexist. Uh, so it's, it's very difficult to disconnect it from the overblown and rather melodramatic claims of men's rights activists and the men going their own way movement because that's very much where its roots are that was a lot i'm like completely foreign to this whole world i feel like i'd never heard the term men's rights activists until just now um i i feel like i only started to see or understand this movement at all with the introduction of Andrew Tate, um, which I don't really know a ton about him, even just that apparently he's not a great guy. Um, but I've even seen some Christians. I have heard all this terrible, all these terrible things about him, but then some Christians are kind of promoting him. So what is the deal with Andrew Tate and how he's connected to all of this? So this is an area where my expertise in Internet culture actually pays dividends. I've been following Andrew Tate's stuff for three or four years now. Um, so Andrew Tate, his personal history is him and by extension, his brother, Tristan Tate, uh, got their start in international kickboxing. Uh, so they were mm. martial artists uh, and they were, they were good at that. They won money doing that. They are genuinely talented in that area. Uh, but I mean, cutting to the quick, they are both sex trafficking, abusive, men who should be buried under the prison they they are not good people they are arrogant bordering on sociopathic liars narcissists and manipulators um 
and the way that Andrew Tate is connected to all of this is after he got out of the martial arts world, he started running scams online under the name Cobra Tate. That was his Twitter account when I first found him in late 2019. And his website, you'll hear a lot about uh, Hustlers University, um, and you'll hear a lot of them talking about their webcam business, uh, which is actually what they're being uh, investigated for and charged with and tried for right now, as they were sex traffickers and uh, pornographers. Uh, so, but that was only one part of what he offered on his website. His website was actually uh, very strange and oddly schizophrenic. It offered all sorts of bizarre trainings, one of which was like this weird military training where he was alleging that he could train people how to be some type of elite special forces unit. Uh, it's it, it was very strange, but th- the biggest part of it that he was selling was this Hustlers University, which was effectively a crypto scam combined with how to abuse women into making webcam pornography for you to sell online. And I'm sure you're thinking, how does this turn into the red pill? Uh, a major part of the red pill is actually marketing because the way that Andrew Tate exploded onto the scene because uh, I was following him this entire time just because I thought he was funny. And, uh, you know, so what he did was he used a decentralized marketing plan. So he used about a thousand followers back when shorts were still kind of a new thing in terms of Internet culture, um, like TikTok, Instagram and YouTube. And part of his Hustlers University was he was offering uh, bonuses to followers of his who would start their own YouTube channels and repost shorts of his uh, appearances on these podcasts, which is by and large where most people first saw him. They were short form video content of him saying bombastic things about women, bombastic things about sex, and bombastic things about the power of masculinity. So he actually rose to fame in the red pill kind of manosphere movement because of marketing. And that's kind of how the misogynistic podcast personality became an ascendant part of this culture. Uh, It's part of the reason why you've kind of seen even Christians dealing with this because this very much did come out of nowhere. And it is it is impossible to understand the red pill without short form video content because of how Andrew Tate used it. It was very much a scam. It was very much a marketing plan. Um, and it played on, again, this feeling of unfairness that certain men had and this idea that if you kind of bandage the wounds of the man that has been put upon, that he would kind of become loyal to you. So Andrew Tate specifically, who's kind of the number one guy for that movement, 100% marketing, 100% uh, scam artist. (laughs) So I can understand where, like you were saying, men who feel like they've been wronged by society or maybe have not had a lot of luck in dating women or have been really hurt by women would be like drawn to someone like Andrew Tate who is like saying these very extreme things Mm -hmm. but I think what confuses me is when Christian men are drawn into this Uh, so what do you feel like is fueling the interest in the manosphere among especially Christian men specifically I think uh being reactionary is broadly always going to feel more cathartic than attempting to be constructive. Uh, in that way, I think 
a lot of Christian conservative men look at almost anyone who is not liberal. And I'm not saying red pill is conservative either. It's just mm. anyone who's not liberal, even mm. anti-liberal. Uh, they view them as co-travelers, mm. uh, which is, I don't need to tell you, that's dumb. Don't do that. And so what happens is anyone who's saying, well, you know, third wave, fourth wave feminism, oh, it's cancerous to men. Wow. So brave. Mm. That that's not that's not something that's worthy enough for us to travel together when we're attempting to do something new. So I think for a lot of conservative Christian men, they suffer from the same issues that the MGTOW men had, which is they view a society that is increasingly hostile towards biblical masculinity and biblical femininity for that matter. Mm. And they think that anything that is anti-liberal is going to assist them in you know, this battle. Uh, and it's not going to, obviously, because the biblical model of masculinity and the biblical model of femininity cannot be affirmed by people who have an axe to grind against the other sex. That's just never going to be possible. And what what are Christian's responses? I'm just curious, too. You were saying that he was manipulating women into producing webcam pornography and all of these awful things that are just very blatantly against Christianity. What is their response to that? These Christian men that are following Andrew Tate are, or are supporting Andrew Tate? I would say one half of them obviously just don't know. Um, I don't believe ignorance is an excuse, uh, but obviously it should it should weigh in the balance if someone genuinely doesn't know and immediately mm. goes, oh, I feel embarrassed now. I'm going to you know, put my hand over my mouth in embarrassment and I'll never do it again. Okay, fine, whatever. I'd say the other half, I actually wrote an article about this on my Medium. Uh, uh, the other half are willing to condemn the bad things about him, but are kind of saying, well, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, right. They're, they're saying, <laughs> I believe one tweet I referenced in my article says, he calls men to a, a kind of excellence, but it's a truncated form of excellence. No, he doesn't. He doesn't call anyone to a form of excellence. Yeah. He's a degenerate pervert trafficker, a violent trafficker at that. If you actually read the court documents, which I have, that he's uh, this. It's it's a smoking gun that he was abusive. Uh, when I say trafficking, I mean that in the realest sense of the word. He was keeping women from leaving a compound. He he literally had women imprisoned. So again the worst of the worst and so it's one of these instances where it's either ignorance of the situation because they didn't look into it or they're condemning the bad things without sacrificing the good things that there are and the simplest response to this is to go you shall know them by their fruit there's how are you forgetting that basic principle of this this is nothing but bad fruit D you don't need a big name personality to make your point for you make your point and then move on don't try and yoke yourself to someone like andrew tate who even if everything that he says is happening was happening which tucker carlson gave him a platform which was just despicable and that's where a lot of christian men got their first interaction with andrew tate and he simply lied the entire time about what he did but even if this was some massive conspiracy that he was the victim of, it wouldn't change the fact that he admits and talks about 
being a womanizer. He admits and talks about making money off of producing pornography. He admits and talks about having multiple partners being the normal way that men are. If you think that there's anything good in that movement to affirm, I'm I'm not going to listen to you. And frankly, I think you should probably stop talking. What just... is it that he's saying that they feel like, like when you were saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, what is it that they feel has merit or that is good? Just that it's men a... should be masculine? Right. And that that's the issue. It's men should be masculine because mm. masculinity is what men do. And, nah, 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 and it's circular reasoning. A lot of them won't ever really define what it is because that's the very live cultural conversation that we should be having. What does biblical masculinity look like? today that's a massive conversation that needs to be had what does biblical femininity look like today that's a, again a massive conversation that's one not going to be easily marketed on youtube shorts so you're not going to get any you know massive fame or acclaim for saying it it's probably mm -hmm. going to be rather boring because biblical masculinity is power under control that's an important mm -hmm. thing uh, one of the things that uh, someone like jordan peterson who i've warmed to over time um one of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about is that, uh, you know, you can't be a man unless you're dangerous, but the whole point of becoming dangerous is you're controlling that. And that's the point. Grace is power under control, but that's not sexy. That's not fun. That's not getting into cage fights, making lots of money and having any woman that you want. Power under control is humility. Okay. <laughs> humility, self-control, chastity all of these things they aren't the samson killing thousands of philistines with a jawbone kind of testosterone soaked arnold schwarzenegger and predator levels of masculinity that we want but these are all broken forms of masculinity and so andrew tate comes along and kind of goes well wait societies throughout the millennia have had men that were actually dangerous and it was normative throughout all of history for men to have multiple partners and my response to that is to go you're right we also didn't have penicillin back then there's a lot of things about the modern era that are better because christianity came along and fixed them the ugly truth about the majority of human history having polygamy is because 20 percent of the men had 80 percent of the women there's a reason eunuchs existed. There's a reason why it is shown to be such an awful thing when David takes Bathsheba and kills Uriah and it's compared to a sheep. This was the way it worked. Women were a good to be consumed. Christianity comes along and makes it that one man and one woman in a chaste marriage is the most important thing for societal cohesion. And it's worked and history proves that. Which is why I'm so confused when Christian men come along and go, well, Andrew Tate is calling them to a kind of excellence. No, he's calling them to degradation of society. Well, well, men should be dangerous. If what you're saying is that, you know, hey, if you're carrying around an extra 35 pounds after the holiday season, go for a run, get back into shape so that you could, in a pinch, defend your wife and kids. Say that. You can say that. That's okay. You can be a bit more humble in what you say. You don't have to come out and agree with everything Andrew Tate says, because in his mind, masculinity is nothing short of who he is incarnate. He's a very, he is a, a consummate narcissist. In his mind, unless you 
had multiple violent altercations with other men, beaten them, and also had multiple very, very grotesque sexual encounters. You're not really a man. So it's 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 suffering from a bad view of masculinity and a bad view of femininity at that. Mm-hmm. I saw that he was on um, Candace Owens interviewed him, like featured him for like a three hour interview. Did you watch that? No, or... I don't. I don't. I don't watch anything with that because I don't want to give them clicks or reach. Because right. I know that's how he got it. Yeah, I didn't either. But apparently her reaction to him was that he is or her opinion on him is that he's a reaction to a culture or to what is happening in society. Um, and what I I think that she's saying is that he is just a reaction to very radical feminism, which I think that you kind of mentioned. But could you explain more how this movement is connected to radically traditional feminism? I think this is and I think I kind of want to revisit the idea of ignorance versus, you know, half condemnations. I think for a large portion of young men who are taken in by this red pill movement who are younger there is a genuine sense of confusion mm. because what feminism has done specifically the bad kind of feminism has lowered the playing field when it comes to what is societally acceptable whereas the original feminism was men act like pigs we're going to call them to better behavior now it is men act like pigs so we are free to act like pigs Mm. additionally the level of equality due to the madness of transgenderism and this idea that gender fluidity is a thing and that yes science actually does say men and women are exactly the same I think amongst young men, there's this failure to comprehend what masculinity is and what grace is, which is, again, it's power under control. And so they're kind of looking at this and going, well, if women are equal in every single way and they demand to be taken seriously, I don't understand how I'm doing anything wrong by just playing the game. Mm -hmm. I think there's a certain level where a lot of young men have genuinely believed this idea that men and women are equal in the sense that there are no distinctions between them, even at the ontological level, at the spiritual level, there's no distinction. And so to them, why would women be upset? You're equal, right? Like you can have as many sexual partners as men can. So why are you mad at me when I just get what I want? You're free to have as much sex as you want and abort that child. Why are you mad at me? get what you want. I'm getting what I want. We're equal after all, right? So I think that's one half of the equation, that there's a a reactionary in the sense that it's kind of going along the primrose path, that this is just a natural outcome of men and women being exactly the same. But because we know they aren't exactly the same, it's going to return to that kind of pre-Christian era of men becoming dominant because there is no self-control. They go, well, we're equal then. Why should it matter? Okay, and you you need look no further than a trans woman who is a man fighting in the UFC and nearly killing women in the octagon. I mean, that's that's my point exactly. This is men with no self control playing the game, so to say, and getting what they want. 
so why are you mad? We're equal, right? And women will be the ones that suffer. When men don't understand who they are, women are the ones who suffer. This is the this is the message of all of human history. Well, now on the other end of that, there are the kind of more higher thought reactionaries who are saying it doesn't matter if he's a bad guy or not. We, you know, we need a hammer to break this awful poison of feminism. Mm. But we don't. In fact, I think it shows a remarkable lack of faith if you feel the need to become co-travelers with someone that frankly should rot in a cell for the rest of his life for what he's done. There, there's simply no reason to feel the need to be strategic in that sense. We have no need of that. We have 2,000 years of Christian scholarship talking about the masculine and feminine virtues. We have more than enough. We have the Bible. We have our faith leaders. We have our church communities. We have all of these things. Is it tough? Absolutely. Is the modern world absolutely abysmal to be both a man and a woman in? Absolutely. Do both of the sexes have their grievances against the other ones? Absolutely. We're not going to solve toxicity and bad worldview by yoking ourselves to someone who is an abusive narcissist. And broadly speaking, within the red pill movement, you also have people like Just Pearly Things, who is a woman mm. that affirms people like Andrew Tate or comes out and goes, why is cheating such a bad thing when men do it? Like men can't help it. It's like, mm, well, hold on. You're kind mm -hmm. of turning men into animals with no self-control at this point. You're not doing us a favor. You know, spare me. Do me a favor and get off my side, please. <laughs> like the it's it's a massive, massive issue when you have this reaction to feminism that's just going, Well, we need to return to, you know, the good old days. Mm, well, the good old days weren't as good as you think. I feel like what you're saying, too, is a lot of young men today are very hungry to understand who they are and to find purpose and meaning. And what they're being drawn in with is this very strategic marketing towards sort of what they feel is lacking in their life. So they want that strength. They want that power. They want that control and they don't feel like they have it and they don't feel like maybe christianity is providing mm. the answers to that so how do you feel like churches should respond to these young men who maybe are in a place of being like i don't really know how to be a man or i don't know what it means to be a man how do as the church do we minister to them so that they aren't run away with people like the Tates. I think the first thing you have to do is find out whether this is genuine confusion or someone that is wanting to have sin affirmed. That's a major mm -hmm. thing. If it's someone who's genuinely saying, well, I don't know what being a man is, none of us truly know who we are. It's why we need Christ. We need to find out who we are in Christ, in the cross. Mm -hmm. That's a journey we're all on, and I'm very sympathetic towards for obvious reasons, right? You know, starting from the ground up, if you've got no formation, especially as a man, if you've had no real masculine identity your whole life, which increasingly with single parent households on the rise, this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue, perfectly sympathetic. And I would hope that no one would feel uh, put off by someone who's been taken in by this red pill movement. 
because they simply have not had a chance to know any better. That's simply just a learning opportunity, and we need humility at that point. Now, on the flip side, there are people that just want their sin affirmed, right? Um, men who want grace to be power out of control, who want the ability to vent their anger and frustrations, that is a massive red flag that needs to be fixed immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a certain level of anger and resentment that I think a lot of young men have been brought up on based on internet culture, which you could lay the blame at the feet of any number of uh, marketed realities. I don't care to speculate, but I think the the hostility between the sexes has very much been a part of the collective unconscious in the internet. Mm. And I think in the same way that there are men out there going, well, why are you mad? I'm just playing the field. At an unconscious level, every man understands by and large, he is stronger, he is smarter, and he is. it is going to be easier to manipulate a woman for him. And he does not feel respected. That's a bad thing. Not that he doesn't feel respected, that in his mind, the danger that he knows he presents to everyone in society is not being controlled. There's a level of dissatisfaction with self-control, and I think that is what you have seen time and time again in young people that have lashed out and committed horrible crimes or atrocities. This idea that I am more powerful than you possibly know, and you will rue the day that you disrespected me. Mm. That is a very, very vile sin that needs to be condemned and torn out at the root. At a base level, this is the one thing I will say. We have to make a very tough under, we have to make a very tough turn and understand that the average man is actually dangerous. That sounds radically anti-masculine. That sounds rather anti-man. In the end, it, it becomes pro-masculine because the one thing you have to explain to these men who are weak or feel weak or disenfranchised by society is that is a pressure cooker that is waiting to go off. They are extremely dangerous. And it is not, it is not like a puzzle to be solved. It's a bomb to be defused. Because if we don't get them to harness those impulses and realize there is no honor in lack of self-control there's no actual power in becoming some kind of violent freak you need to teach them that you are dangerous and you have to control that that is what masculinity is it's controlled power they they will understand then why it is natural for women today to fear men. Mm. Men are scary. They are stronger. They are faster. This is this is a reality that the world has always grappled with that I think we've kind of neutered our danger instinct in society when we kind of did fall for our own hype when we thought that, well, men and women are actually exactly identical. They're not. But you can't leave it there. You have to move past saying you are dangerous and you need to get that under control. You need to now also say the thing that makes you dangerous and scary 
can be the thing that makes you comforting and constructive and show them that raw power is not something to just be released into the world and used for your own personal gain because mm -hmm. that will lead to a self-destructive rot that will leave a hole in the very core of your being. You need to learn to use that in constructive ways for your church community, for your family, whoever God has put in front of you to serve. So admitting that that power is there, admitting that it's scary, and moving past that to teach them how to be constructive, that would be the ideal. Mm. Like it really does come down to to teaching true biblical masculinity because like you were saying being a man must be rooted in who we are in christ and united to christ and when we look at christ as the example of masculinity he's the epitome of having true power of having you know true control like all of these things that they're sort of yearning for and grasping for and yet what does christ do he is he teaches, he heals, he walks with people. Like all of these things that they might view as weak is actually just an expression of that true power and true control. And so I think what you're saying is so true. It has to be rooted in who, what is your identity in Christ? Because without that, these things that could be so virtuous get very twisted into being very evil and corrupt and harming themselves and others. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Christ, he came and he died on the cross, which looks weak and looks, you know, I'm, I'm sure these men, they wanted, they would want to look at a God who came and destroyed and was a warrior and a fighter, which is kind of what they're trying to imitate but when christ came he came and he died on the cross which was the most powerful form of love um not, not to be too on the nose there's a reason why andrew tate and his brother converted to islam i didn't know that um, yeah the the, re <laughs> the religion of the uh child rapist obvious false prophet yeah though the it's no it's no shock of course that thing you just described the yeah. the violence that's inherent in it read the hadith read what was in the quran it's that's the whole point, is being this kind of violent, masculine figure. And the difficulty is, I saw this just the other night, it's a very common thing that's said now amongst kind of Christian influencers is, well, the reason men aren't going to church, the reason men have abandoned the church is because the church has become a rather feminized space. They don't want to go to church and, you know, sing girly hymns or anything like that. If you look at the statistics, the reason men don't go to church is because men chose not to go to church. Men dropped out of Christianity and men dropped out of the faith because they failed themselves. The church didn't fail men. Men failed the church. There's a reason why there's more women in church services than men. And now you're going to get upset when you left and what filled the void is now ministering to the majority that's there. I'm sorry. That's an area where I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly annoyed. This is not a place for us to focus anything other than Christ's servant leadership. One one tweet, for example, I, I wish I knew offhand who it was who said it, so I could like link it or something to show that this is a real opinion, but it was, you know, servant leadership is more than like just, you know, 
dying to self it's about leading strongly and i was like that's all it is yeah uh, that's all it is it is being poured out for god i don't know what you're on when you look at the example of christ who we're supposed to model christ died on a cross becoming the most shameful example according to the mosaic law mm. He came to serve, not to be served. How many times in the Gospels does Jesus reprimand the disciples for power jockeying? How many times does he remind them that it's not about greatness, it's about humility and service? This is not about your feelings as a man. It's not about mm. feeling empowered as a man, which if you really listen to it for a second, sounds remarkably emasculating. You know, your feelings as a man. No, be a man. And it makes act. me think of the, the story in the Gospels uh, where I believe it's the Samaritans um, say some derogatory things towards Jesus and James and John get very, very angry and they're like, call down fire from heaven and burn them and jesus is like no 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 we're not going to do that and how like that's shocking to them like how could you just let people like disrespect you in that way and jesus is trying to get them to understand like i have humbled myself like i came to earth as a baby i came to earth to die like my purpose here is not to overthrow the Romans or call down fire on anyone who insults me. Like Jesus very much endured that in humility um, and how much like <laughs> things really haven't changed. You know, men still are expecting God to call down fire on people who disrespect him. And yet that's not the way our God works. No, I also think of when Peter cut off the ear of the servant and then Jesus healed the <laughs> servant. Um, when you were saying that they they say that men have left the church because it's too feminine. I think, no, in my view, like me, men leave the church because it's calling them too high to something that they what would require real strength and real virtue because virtue is strength is having those like violent urges or like sexual urges and then being able to temper those and to master those and to have control over those that would be real strength is to have those and then be able to use them in the way that you in a healthy way instead of being controlled by them or being controlled by your rage controlled by your lust and I think that they're just scared of that I mean I think that the church is actually calling them too high Jesus is actually calling them calling them to a sort of strength that they're not willing to grow in or to use. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very obvious to me. And we can see, I mean, we can see that also in women. I'm not just calling out men, but it seems that they they leave the church because they don't want to die to themselves. They don't want to actually grow in real strength and in real virtue. It's, it's very much a quid pro quo that's desired. Mm -hmm. Well, if I do this, you owe me that. Right. And it's well, okay, fine. If I learn to master my urges and die to self, then I am owed a wife who is perfectly sexually submissive. <laughs> Come on. This is not for freedom, Christ has set us free. 
This is not something that you exercise for anything other than it is what you're called to. This is like this is a time where I really think we need to remind ourselves of uh, the the parable of the the grateful servants, which is Jesus compares himself to the master, and he says, you know, when the servants are called in from the field, does the master take off his robes and then say sit down at the dinner table and i will serve you he calls them in from the field and says no i will dine at the table and you will serve me and after that you will eat and what i expect of you afterwards is for you to say we have only done our duty you don't get any type of special reward for mastering these things it shows a profound lack of humility when you think, okay, fine, you know, if I have to put up with these feminists, with women behaving badly, and I have to remain good, and I at least expect, you know, to be rewarded for it, it's not how any of this works. This is not how any of this works. You have to want this humility. You have to want these things because you have to want Christ first, which is why it's so important that we discern young people that have been truly led astray because they they truly, we, we can't bank on people having a biblical understanding of anything anymore. And, and there are going to be a lot of young men that truly are just misled and that's fine. Like we can, we can deal with that and people that want their sins affirmed because we can't do that. And, and it's learning to distinguish between those two, because if it's someone that is strung out on, you know, well, this woman you put here with me, God, it's kind of the, the, the oldest excuse in the book well, I would have behaved better if you, you hadn't put me here with this woman. She doesn't really know how to act, does she? So now I, I get to do whatever I want because, you know, these women, they don't act right. It's it's blame shifting and, and we need to cut down on that. And it is it is the most emasculating, unmanly and humiliating thing in the world to blame shift like that. Well, if women acted better, it'd be easier for me to be a man. Listen to yourselves. Can we listen to ourselves for a second? The, the the solution to this is not to rise up and become powerful men that control women. It's to become better men and be a light that then other men go, you're not really controlled by that thing that controls everyone else. You don't suffer from these same impulses. You seem like you're more sane more stable than the rest of us what's up with that and women by the same token will by and large notice and care about the fact that you are a well put together well thought out man and even if those natural blessings which come about just because that's the way the world should be weren't there would still be worth it because the virtue is its own reward and following christ is its own reward and the further we get away from that and the more we focus on doing damage control and building strong men to lead households, the worse it's going to get. We're, we're chasing symptoms of a sickness. We're not working on the cure at that point. We don't want to medicate against the woes of society. We want to actually fix them. Mm -hmm. And we saw the same thing with radical feminism respond in response to men abusing and dominating women. Women responded in this very radical way. And now men are responding in this very radical way. And it's like when we 
base our response to the way we live based on the way other people's sins and not focusing on Christ, then we go back in this like tug of war. Um, and it just leads to a very toxic and destructive society. It's also not it's sort of a cycle we're... that doesn't get broken <laughs> because then we're going to continue reacting because then what happens when women then start to react against this red pill manosphere, then we get an even more radical wave of feminism and it just continues yeah. down this toxic road. It's it's also the way that God has commanded us to be. I recently studied for one of my master's courses uh, the parable of the ungrateful servant, mm. which is the servant that, after having an unforgivable debt forgiven, goes and chokes his fellow servant out over a debt that actually could have been paid off and throws him in prison and suffers the due penalty for his arrogance. You've been commanded, it doesn't matter what, women in the church have done to you. It doesn't matter what contrived imaginary sins that have been sinned against you that you think can't really be overlooked, or it's not just for you to overlook them. That's not what you've been called to do. And to Megan, what you were saying, well, it's a cycle that's never going to be broken. There's nothing else you can do. There's nothing else you can do other than forgive at that point. You yeah. can only You can only say, yes, I was wronged in this way, and move on and that is again it's grace it's power under control it's being able to go yeah i was wrong i forgive them it's proverbs 19:11 says the discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is his glory to pass over a transgression we live in a society today that really champions being bitter to the very end and oh. never <laughs> looking over anything mm-hmm and if you do forgive someone, you kind of have the moral high ground for the rest of your life because it was your good deed that you did. You're like, oh, I forgave this person. I'm better than this person. I overlooked this transgression. It's like we need to start glorying in the fact that we get to forgive. That's the point of that parable, that because we have been forgiven an infinite debt, we are allowed to forgive others. And we are allowed. That's what we get to do. We are graced to forgive others an unlimited amount. That's a good thing. That's an amazing thing. And I'm not blind to the fact that a lot of men and a lot of women out there have reasons to be mad at the opposite sex. There are real wounds that happen to everyone that also uniquely fall out of the ways that femininity and masculinity uniquely twist their virtues. Mm -hmm. For men, it's abusing. For women, it's manipulating. It's, it doesn't matter however that's happened. You have to be able to move past the tribalism, but you also need to forgive because that's the glory of that level of self-control is being able to overlook an offense because you've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. I know we talked a little about like maybe the greater church response, but just for individual Christians, when they encounter this, what would you recommend their response be like what questions should they ask what I don't know what points should they bring up like just in everyday on the ground interactions mm. yeah I I would once again I would probably return to the idea that you want to find out who you're who you're interacting with you want to know if this is someone who's genuinely taken in by this and doesn't know any better uh, and again ignorance is no excuse but it is informative we should know um or it's someone who genuinely just is looking to excuse sins. Uh, after that, I would 
I would ask what kind of the core of the message they think it is. Back to what I was saying towards the beginning, because the red pill movement is so organic and it, it does have its kind of flagship individual speakers uh, like the Tates, like just pearly things. Uh, it probably means something very different to everyone because mm -hmm. again, everyone's wounds are uniquely different. And so it's going to speak to those wounds uniquely. So finding out what is kind of being serviced by that belief and discovering how they have missed out on the proper Christian response to that would probably be the, the second step after that. And then once you kind of get an idea of how this red pill situation is kind of assisting their mentality or is acting like a crutch for them, at a certain level, you got to kick the crowd. You got to kick the crutch out from underneath them because they don't need it. No one needs it. It is assisting them in a bad mentality, in a wrong pattern that needs to be removed. And so I think once you've kind of discovered what's at the heart of the matter and how to better assist them in dealing with, with overcoming, forgiving, whatever that looks like, after that, it's time It's time to, to take that crutch away from them and tell them like, okay, it, it's time you moved on from this. It's it's time you you stopped this this madness and stopped giving them any visibility. And you started really studying what it means to be a Christian man and kind of taking that leadership role seriously, wherever that means you take that leadership role in your life. Because uh, it's the only way it's really going to get better is by starving these people for oxygen and just kind of humiliating them by making them scream into the void and hearing nothing back. What are some like Christian maybe speakers or thinkers mm. that you feel like are a better example? So if they're looking for, you know, they're looking up to the Tates or something, who would be maybe a better person to redirect that attention to that could actually help guide them in correct christian orthodoxy uh no one living that's for sure um <laughs> the, I, I think that's i think it, it's kind of a loaded question because mm -hmm. the answer to media consumption that's got it out of control is not more media consumption mm -hmm. uh off the top of my head not to sound like overly pious or anything like that, John the Baptist, there's a there's a lot of biblical characters that we should refamiliarize ourselves with mm -hmm. and to go back to the Bible um, and start there. Uh, and once you're there, there are built-in parts of the church to do this, whether that's Catholic or Protestant there are resources in your church. I promise you they're there. I promise you you're there. And whoever it is in your church is going to be elated to help you. This is such a real thing that you might also be the first person in your congregation or in your parish to bring this up. And then other men are going to raise their hand and go, you know, I got some areas of my masculinity that are under control either. I could probably use some help here too. You could be the beginning of opening the floodgates and assisting in a revival within your community. So start individually, go back to the basics, 
go back to these titanic figures in the Bible, John the Baptist, Elijah, King David, understanding what was required of them, understanding how they rose to the challenge and how they fell, you know, and, and getting a sense from there and including your local community. Just don't, don't go in search of another cult of personality. I'm begging people. There's not, there's, there aren't any uh, bookmarks on the web. There's no Twitter accounts you should follow. There's no YouTube accounts. You don't, don't even listen to me for, for all that. Literally, you have to find out who you can be ministered to by in your local community. Yeah. And yeah. start there. Yeah, I think, I love that this conversation, it came back to forgiveness and humility because that really is the core of I mean not just masculinity but just being a true Christian and that's where you'll find the fullness of either your femininity or your masculinity um is in Christ and yeah at least I know for me the most masculine figures I've encountered in my life are those that have truly struggled and have been truly humbled and have found that humility in Christ um and I would agree with that we should seek that out in our local communities and find people that can walk with us in that. Mm-hmm. And focusing on real world, real life yeah. relationships, because mm-hmm. like you were saying, how a lot of these men maybe don't have father figures in their life or masculine figures in their life to look up to. Like, that's why I think male mentorship is so important and so valuable in the church because that is such a, a real way to address these issues in the most loving and productive way yeah it's the it's a remarkable thing why the church exists it's <laughs> it's intended for this exact thing i mean there's there's it doesn't get much more cut and dry this is what yeah. it's there for it's for assisting the church in living out its calling here on earth and living into your calling as a man is the most masculine thing you're going to do and that's tough being humbled sucks <laughs> no one no one in the bible no one in the biblical record ever really enjoyed it so it's it's tough it's difficult but it's something that is ultimately required of us and good for us to do mm. yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. I feel like I learned a lot. I don't know much about this world, maybe for my own good, that I haven't been too exposed to the Red Pill community. Uh, anytime I see anything about Andrew Tate, I'm like, I nope, avoid, avoid. Um, but I mean, this bleeds out into the men around us and into our community. So it's good to know how to respond to this and to kind of know where this mindset is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, agreed. It's a, an important thing to talk about an important thing to understand as like you were saying Jackie we interact with it or even its byproducts of people who are Christians and maybe don't follow everything Andrew Tate says but thinks he has some value to bring I think it's important to know how to interact with that and to be knowledgeable of it so yeah thank you for talking about that because I don't think it's something people often are talking about in this way yeah yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not something everyone should attempt to understand in depth because <laughs> it is obviously unhelpful and extremely negative. So it's uh, it's my pleasure to be able to assist in this area. Yeah, if you didn't know much about it before, just listen to this, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't don't go searching. Don't go searching. <laughs>